Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. Today, I will be talking about Little Woods, starring Lily James and Tessa Thompson, and directed by Nia DaCosta. And with me virtually is my good friend, Christina. Hello, I'm back. (laughs) So, for those of you who haven't seen this film, Little Woods is about two estranged sisters living in North Dakota who are given one week to pay back the mortgage on their deceased mother's house. Tessa Thompson's character, Ollie, is on probation for smuggling drugs from Manitoba to North Dakota, and her sister, Deborah, played by Lily James, is an extremely poor single mom who is uh, pregnant again and is wondering whether she should get an illegal abortion in Manitoba. The plot revolves around one week in the sisters' lives, and both women are put in very extreme situations within themselves eternally and with others. This is Nia DaCosta's first film and makes the audience reflect and question what they would do if they were in these young women's situations. What would you do if you only had one week to get $3,000? So, Christina, what do we think of Little Woods? I really loved it. It, I, I was worried going into it just because, as you've read with the elevator pitch, it's really heavy subject material. Um, and I think it's even listed, I rented it off of iTunes, and it's listed as a thriller. And so I was like a little bit worried that it was going to be more scary, I guess, and suspenseful. And a lot of times with these movies that revolve around, you know, the life of drug dealers, they can be very intense and they can be violent. But I really appreciated that this movie was so much more focused on the two sisters and their lives and the emotional turmoil. It never it never really got violent. It had suspenseful moments, but it was never genuinely like scary. It just was really, really focused on the the emotional turmoil. And I thought that, that was really clever. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the ending also just like really threw me off guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's what I liked about it because I did see that it was considered a thriller too. And what's sad about that is I watched the, the trailer and I thought, hmm, I wonder what this is going to be. But what I find is sad is I think the only way people want to watch movies now is if it's told that it's going to be a thriller and mystery suspense. And people tend to like violence a lot. I mean, I don't know if you've looked around Netflix recently, like so many of the shows and so many of the movies are like very dark murder oriented uh, films. And I think they kind of had to sell it that way to make it seem like it was going to be more violent and gory and it was actually none of the two yeah definitely and even I I remember like when you first suggested this movie to me I looked it up and the first thing that I thought was hold on there was a movie that came out in 2018 starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James and I've never heard of it before where like where did this movie go why did nobody talk about it it's also got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes I I was like how does nobody talk about this movie? <laughs> I know how how Lily James has just kind of gone under like I don't understand how she hasn't been nominated for an Oscar. Like I love her. She is my love and it's just very strange how she's she's gotten big roles but she's not considered a celebrity or a movie star. She's never really in the headlines, at least I see. She, when I say her name, people are just like, uh, who is that? And I'm like, how have you not gotten the appreciation you deserve? She's done so much theater in England. And I mean, she started off with Downton Abbey, which I did watch, and then Cinderella was when I was like, oh my gosh, I love you. But it's kind of gone like a funny career, and I really hope that changes for her because... I think she's in her 30s now, and it would be nice, I mean, not like with COVID, it's kind of hard, but to see a kind of change of how people see her. And I don't understand why Little Woods was not appreciated or shown more in more theaters. Uh, it's an independent film, but it was never at VIF. Uh, that's the Vancouver International Film Festival. I don't think it was at the Toronto one. Uh, and it just makes me really sad that a female-directed uh, movie is not given any attention. Yeah, and even, like, I just Googled when this movie came out to make sure I didn't give false information, but, like, 
Little Woods came out the year after Thor Ragnarok, and everybody loved Tessa Thompson and Thor Ragnarok, and she, I can't confirm, is fantastic in that movie. And But it's, you know, it's a Marvel movie. Like, it's not a, a super serious role for her yeah. to be in. It's action, it's comedy. But she's such a fantastic actor in Little Woods, and you really, like, get to see how good of an actress she is. And it came out the year after Thor Ragnarok, and nobody talked about her being in it, or yeah. that the movie existed. Well, I mean, there's kind of, it's very obvious that because she's a woman and, and a woman of color that when she's the star and Chris Hemsworth is not the star of Little Woods, a man is not the star, mm. that it really gets under the curtain and it, it wasn't Disney yeah. and it wasn't, um, and that just makes me very sad. It, it's very rare for, I mean, Greta Gerwig who, who um, directed Little Women and Lady Bird has been very lucky, but she even has not been nominated for an Oscar. And that's only because her movie, sorry, but all her movies have white female stars. Yeah. And <laughs> Little Woods had Tessa Thompson. And those are still some really big barriers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk about it, especially with the Black Lives Matter, that so many of the... I was looking up movies directed by black female uh, directors, and 95% of them I'd never even heard of. Yeah, yeah, and like... The, and as you mentioned earlier, like, that's probably another reason why this movie really, you know, flew under the radar is, you know, a black female director with one of the two leads being a black woman. Like, it, it is sad that that can, can make the movie just slip through the cracks so easily, but clearly, like, it's, and, and as I said earlier, like, with the reviews it got from, from critics, like, clearly the only, the only things at play keeping this movie from being, like, better known and better, I guess, publicized in the mainstream was some, some deep-seated systemic issues because it, it should have, have done a lot better than it did, or it should be a lot more well-known than it, than it was. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think the other problem with it, especially with watching maybe uh, people, less people have seen it in North America and other places, is because it does have very heavy topics. There's a lot of conversations that people don't want to have. And this movie brings up a lot of those, like abortions and how there's still so many, most of the places so unsafe to get an abortion in most of the places you live it's still illegal yeah and really what do you do when you're in that situation or even as a drug dealer drug dealers are always stereotyped and shown as these sketchy men with tattoos and you know like big backpacks or guns and and this is just a black woman not doing it because she just wants to have drugs she's not a drug addict but because she needs to do it out of necessity. And we find out later uh, in some, some backstory, there isn't much backstory in this movie, uh, which I kind of liked because I didn't really want to know too much about why the two sisters got estranged, but I assumed it was because uh, Lily James's character, Deborah, was not there for Ollie when the, their mother was dying. But I liked that there... And there was no... Um, like backstory or extreme conversation about you know them being siblings and one of them is black and I like that because she did say she was adopted but sometimes American movies go into that too much about why she adopted a black girl or things like that and I really like that they didn't mention that at all yeah but I think it's because of those conversations like of abortion and and drug we've never seen it in this light usually girls that need an abortion if it's ever shown, it's rarely shown visually on screen. But if it is shown, the girl is always like, you know, a prostitute or mm -hmm. a whore and very slutty. And and they make her look like she's a tramp. And yeah. Lily James is not that. She was quite the opposite. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I really, really loved about this movie and I thought was so clever about it was there were so many things, like you said, like we got so little backstory, but there are so many pieces that you could sort of put together just by like little offhand comments. Like there would just be like the tiniest little line slipped in there and you would get a little bit more information. Like when, I think um, it's when Lily James's character, Deb, is outside smoking and Ollie makes some comment about like, 
uh, I don't remember what Ollie says, but she makes some comment about her smoking. And Deb is like, hey, I've been clean. You know I've been clean. I'm just picking my poison. And you're like, oh, so at one point, yeah. Deb was a drug addict. And you just, like, get that in this little offhand line. Or, like, the throughout the movie, this is the one thing that I couldn't quite place the the meaning of, but I thought was so interesting, is throughout the movie, you get these little references that um, Deb's son, Johnny, is sick. Like, it opens with him throwing up. And then when they run into um, his dad, like, Deb's... Uh, the guy who she had a child with for ex-partner yeah, ex-partner yeah. when she runs into him and he's drunk the little boy is like oh are you sick too and then like even later when he's yeah. playing with like bill's daughter um and ollie goes back to talk to bill she's like hey cover your mouth when you cough and i was like why is he sick yes. and what is he sick with and like why you know yeah. <laughs> well he might yeah he might i was thinking first that he might be uh, not having enough nutrition, and he's like... But then I thought, oh, maybe he has AIDS, the boy. Yeah, and even, like, with the references... Just because of... Um, when he said, when she said to, to, to cover your mouth, because AIDS is very easily transmitted through, um, j- just like COVID, uh, yeah. through, <laughs> like, you know, droplets and uh, cuts in your hand if you shake someone's hand and, uh, and they're, they have a cut. And then I thought, oh, maybe... Um, Lily James's partner, uh, Deb's partner, had AIDS and gave it. And then that could be another reason why she wants to have an abortion because she can't look after two, two kids and two kids who don't have childcare and don't go to school and live in a shitty RV. And, like, she can't do that while they're both going to probably be sick. And she's going to be sick. Yeah. Yeah, and especially, um, and even, like, and I know you can yeah. you can get, um, like, if Rent the Musical has taught me anything, is that you can get AIDS really easily through, like, <laughs> drugs and, like, using, like, injection-based drugs. And so even just that, like, offhand comment of, of Deb having, you know, at one point been on drugs, like, was she on drugs when she was pregnant? That could have gotten Johnny really sick, like... There's yeah. so many things that or really I saw explained. her drink a couple times and smoking while she was pregnant again. So yeah. I don't think there's any yeah any consideration there. But back to the dialogue, I really like to quote. Um, I think it was when they were sitting outside, it, and we find out when she says, "Oh, I'm smoking again." What you just mentioned um, that I think it's Deborah that says, "Your choices are only as good as your options are." And I thought that was a really really good. Uh, sentence to explain a lot of um, protests and and stigma around being poor and the class system and being um, a drug addict or a drug dealer or you know getting let's say knocked up that there's so much stigma around the world of these people but if you're born into it there's not much you can do. Your choices are only as good as your options are. And there's no way, um, what's her name, Ollie could have gotten that money for the mortgage without uh, selling drugs. I mean, there's so there's no um, middle ground, especially in America, for people that need help. Uh, it's either like their jobs, they don't pay, get paid enough. You know, as a waitress, she Deborah can't pay for her child and everything just being a waitress and it's very much extremes and people don't seem to understand that especially even here in Canada that we don't they don't really have any other option yeah definitely and it's yeah no I totally gravitated toward that line too and I thought that was so interesting because even when Ollie makes this decision to go back into selling drugs in order to be able to afford the house and help Deb out with with trying to get an abortion like you can tell that it is a hard choice for her she has been trying to make ends meet without drug dealing she doesn't want to go back to it she resists going back to drug dealing as much as she possibly can and at the end of the day it's she has no other option like it's it's all that she has there you can't say oh if she just worked harder and you know like she does she ends up getting this job in Spokane like she interviews for these jobs and she does all these little odd jobs to try to make ends meet but sometimes it's not enough yeah and and even with like your choices like this the quote again your choices are only good as as your options are 
people say abortion is murder, but would you rather have another child come into this world that, you know, may not get fed? Yeah. Like, if, if she if she couldn't afford to, to feed and clothe and house a second child, like, it would it would just end up getting killed anyway, you know, as, as sad as that is. Like, it... it <laughs> your choices are only as good as your options like it's it's such a true quote and it 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 rings through true it sorry it rings true throughout the whole movie and and i think um what's also interesting about this movie and i think that's also why it didn't get maybe as many viewers or watchers or it just kind of I think the dialogue goes over people's heads. Like, I think people now need everything kind of explained to them with, like you said, these action films and these Marvel films and, you know, these violent films. Everything is kind of put out there. There's a bad guy and there's a good guy and there's this kind of conflict and then there's men fighting. But in this, the the dialogue, like you said, like with the child being sick, Johnny, maybe he has AIDS. I think people are didn't even register that maybe or they didn't even think of that quote your choices are only good as your options are with a grain they took it with a grain of salt they didn't really delve into thinking hmm how can this relate to them or how how have they been brought up to be in this situation or how maybe they were brought up really well by their mother but just because of their their not even their choices but what happens after high school or whatever happens if you get pregnant how there's no support there for you yeah and it was definitely also like obviously you had the the commentary on the american health system where you know even obviously deb like illegally obtains a a manitoba health card so that she can get this abortion in canada but you know she has the health card and she's able to get it for free and it is clean and it is safe and meanwhile in America being pregnant as she says costs her eight thousand dollars like all of the checkups and the pills and like that I I can't even imagine yeah I didn't know that eight thousand dollars yeah no wonder people get illegal abortions I mean hello because like obviously you know being Canadians ourselves like you hear all the time about how broken the American healthcare system is and and how expensive it is but I don't think it ever really has clicked with me just how awful it is until there is that line in the in the movie or that scene where she's at the doctor's office and she's like oh you know how much would it cost for me to to have you know appointments and stuff and they're like oh well you know with all the vitamins and all the checkups and then the the actual like birth it'd be like eight thousand dollars and I was like what (laughs) yeah and I found that I found the movie to be so realistic and I think that's why I really like it because everything about it was it was like you were there with them and that's why I said at the beginning like what would you do and I don't think I would have done anything differently I think I would have done the exact same things if I was Deb or Ollie because you can't do anything else especially when everything is so expensive and I I kind of liked how there wasn't just one antagonist like basically everybody and everything their situation the people around them their work their health everything everybody is against them and I thought that was really brilliant because you know there's Deborah's estranged partner but then there's the mortgage company and then there's the guy that's helping Ollie uh, try to uh, get out of probation and he's a good guy but he's also kind of you don't like him because he wants to kind of get her caught and we are on Ollie's side, and even though he is a good guy just doing his job, we don't really like him either. And poor, I guess, just the economy, that's that's what's really working against them. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's one of those really clever movies where there are no defined good or bad characters. Like, all of, you know, Ollie and Deb are shown to have their faults, and yet you still root for them at the end of the day. And even... Ian, who at the beginning you think, oh, he's this deadbeat dad. Like, you get that that moving scene when he's with Deb and he apologizes to her and he, he wants to help and he wishes that there was more he can do. And, and Bill, you know, he, he roughs Ollie up a little bit at 
uh, when he finds out that she's come back in a drug dealing. But at the end of the day, he's the one who is able to get them the money in order to keep the yes. house. And you find out that he has a little girl. And so they all yes. have so many complexities to them. Yeah, they're all so dimensional. There's no one, like, there's nobody that I, I really hate that person. Uh, they're all just trying to live in this not great world. <laughs> yeah. And even like, and, I, yeah. I found that I, even like the smallest of characters had depth to them. Like even the woman who interviews Ollie, like at first you think, oh, she's going to be sort of like the, the snooty city person when she's sort of looking around the diner and she's like, oh, it was so hard to find this place. But then she gives the job to Ollie. She believes in her. She wants yes. her to get this new start. So. Yeah. And, and I thought it was also good, um, with, with Ollie and, and I think she was definitely much closer to the deceased mom who we, we never really know that much about, but I, I think the house is like a symbol of their mother and how once they give away that house or once they get evicted from that house, then they really lose their mom. And I thought that was kind of like the house was like their apparent for them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and there was also, um, not just that, but there was other things at stake, you know, like, so the losing the house, but then, you know, what if the abortion doesn't go well, or what if they have a child and it doesn't go well, or what if, you know, Ollie gets put back into jail or even like back into probation or even worse, put into jail. And there was so much at stake, but that's what life is. It's not just one problem you have. Usually when things start crashing down, everything else crumbles with it. Mm, definitely. What I also thought was um, interesting was that there was absolutely no subplots. Like there was, there were secondary characters, but there was never a story with the secondary characters. Each sister was always in at least one of the scenes. Like either it was both of them or just one of them. We never saw uh, Deborah's ex on his own, and we never saw um, you know other people that Ollie knew on their own. It was always them integrated with. Uh, whatever and we were always following those two girls yeah wow I'd never thought of that but yeah you're so right like how often nowadays do you see a movie with zero side plots like we were focused on Deb and Ollie and their story and that was it yeah there was no other storylines and I don't know if I've ever seen a film that does that yeah yeah that's a really good point because you always have like the side character or even like I don't know if the if the sisters weren't so intertwined like you could feasibly see a direction that the movie could have taken in which maybe you got more scenes of just Ian or maybe you got more scenes of just Bill in which the sisters storylines became separate like one was the A story and one was the B story or whatever but they weren't like it was just the story of the sisters sort of intertwined leading the movie and and there's there wasn't anything else. Yeah. And I think that's what really made it so good. If they had put in, you know, a side thing of like uh Deborah's ex saying something or going off with the boy or if there it just would have taken away from the suspense and the pacing. And I think that's what's so great about this movie is each scene kind of brings you to the suspense of, you know, Ollie only has a couple more days of probation and the longer Deborah waits, you know, the baby inside of her will keep on growing and get bigger and bigger and the less time you'll have to to have an abortion. And I think just keeping that on that one week, just seeing them for that short time in their lives is really important. And if they had added other dimensions and other characters, it just would have taken away from the, the suspense. Yeah, no, definitely. There isn't, like, there isn't a a wasted scene. Every scene, no matter how small it is or no matter how, like, little happens in it, it all matters toward the main storyline. There's nothing that's just, like, thrown in there to waste time or, like, pad out the runtime. Or I don't know if you saw, like, the new Lion King, but there's, like, a two-minute montage of, like, Simba's hair trying to make its way to Rafiki and, like, there was nothing like that. There was no, like, we are padding our runtime right now. Like, every single scene needed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I hope um, Nia DaCosta makes some more films and, and that they get more seen and that this one gets seen. And that's why I wanted to do this because I really want people to see this movie because 
I find that a lot of people are say that, oh, you know, there's no filmmakers like this or there's no characters like this. And I'm like, well, just look at some independent films and just broaden your view instead of just the big blockbusters like Jurassic Park and, you know, uh, The Avengers and, and look at some smaller directors who have some really special gems out there. Yeah, and it's definitely like a double-edged sword of racism in the movie industry where on the one hand you have so few people of color and so few women who are directors and who are big time directors and who are directing these big blockbuster movies but on the other hand there are a lot of women directors and people of color directors making these really fantastic movies they just aren't being seen and aren't being publicized yeah and I, I can't point out how this is so relevant to this time right now, but uh, while I was watching it and when they, spoilers, when they do end up going to Manitoba and, and Deb is getting her fake um, uh, Canadian ID and, you know, there's a street checker and there's an, a police uh, officer who sees um, Ollie outside of their car smoking. And, you know, he asks for a cigarette, but then he asks more stuff. And he just right away assumes that the kid in the back of her car, that she kidnapped him, even though it is her nephew. But, I mean, again, how do you say your child is a nephew uh, when he is white and you're black? It, like, they don't give any compassion or any empathy. And, you know, she's questioned. I wonder if Deb was outside there if she would have been questioned, and I don't think she would have been. Yeah, no, definitely. It's really interesting how as soon as Deb arrives, the cop goes away. It's like he he could not take yeah. Ollie's word for it that, you know, she was supposed to be with this kid until he saw, you know, the white woman who was clearly his mom. Yeah. And he was threatening Ollie, too, just, I mean, she came just in time, but, I mean, Deborah was just running away and getting a fake ID. I mean, he didn't ask her any questions, and he should have been the one, like, she should have been the one getting questioned, and Ollie's just not, just outside of a restaurant or a bar, and she's already picked on, and this is why these street-checking things are not always good. Yeah, definitely, and I even, I found it really interesting that um, Ollie's probation officer is a black man, because... He is so supportive of her and, you know, obviously, like, at the end of the day, his job is to check up on her and make sure that she's not breaking the law, but you also, he can tell, like, he writes her this reference for the job, like, he wants her to stay out of trouble, he wants her to do well, and you can't help but wonder, had her probation officer been a white man, how different would that dynamic have been? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think it would have been... I don't think he would have given her the time of day. Yeah. And I think he would have searched her house. And, oh, my gosh, the, there's a scene we have to talk about later, but but which adds to more suspense. But I don't think he would have been sympathetic. No. Or have any empathy. I don't think he... I don't think they'd want her to change. I think they'd keep wanting her to mess up and keep, you know, pressuring her and pushing her until she would mess up again. And I, I don't think they'd want her to grow and, and move to a different uh, city or a different state. I think they'd keep wanting to find her and then finally put her away in jail. Yeah, no, definitely. It definitely would have been much more of a, a the police officer trying to keep her in the system as opposed to the police officer trying to get her out of the system. Yeah. And back to that scene, this is the one that I was like, oh my God, was when the probation officer, they do like um, checks up in the house and they don't tell them when they're going to come to the house because they want them to be surprised and not, you know, have time to hide anything. And anyways, she does have drugs because she's trying to make money for the $3,000 and she hides them in a closet. And then he comes and he's searching the house and he's just about to open the closet and she distracts him. I think she says something and then he keeps going. And then when he leaves and she's so relieved and she opens the door and all the pills fall out of the closet. And if he had opened it, oh my gosh, she would have been put in jail. And it's just all this, yeah. all this tension that one, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I think that was a really suspenseful scene for me. And even, like, there was a, a little scene where um, there's, like, a, a little montage of Ollie, like, first sort of getting back into drug dealing. And there's a scene where she, like, goes to 
this place where like all of these big um, transport trucks are parked like in the middle of the night and she has to like go to these different trucks to like find the person she's delivering drugs to and then there's this other guy who's like found her and wants to get drugs from her and even just like scenes like that are so suspenseful and I'm so conditioned to think that you know movies like this are gonna have um, you know, like a scary scene or a suspenseful scene that I was so tense the whole time. And then when it turns out to be nothing, I was so thankfully relieved. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, definitely, but that there's also, uh, something very unusual about that is that's never usually shown on screen. I mean, like drug dealing itself, it's usually like stereotypically in a back alley and you know there's these big guys and but it was none of that it was right in the day it was in the open and it was just you know casually done the money is given the drugs are given and then she moves on and that's I mean I, I didn't know that that's how it's done I don't know any drug addicts I'm not a drug addict but I thought that was so interesting how it was shown and how they really hype it up to make this big adventurous you know sketchy scene yeah no definitely and even I think that what's what's so interesting for me about it is it's, you know, she she isn't dealing, like, heroin or meth or, you know, a, a drug that is used typically more recreationally. She is dealing, like, medication. Like, she is dealing... Medicine. Yeah, medication. Yeah, she's dealing... Yeah, medication and medicine. And even at the beginning, the, the guy... I don't remember his name, but the guy who comes to her with the, um, with the busted ankle to see if she's come back into drug dealing like he's not there to get pills for fun he's there because he can't afford to wait at a hospital to get his ankle fixed yeah and I thought that that was that was also a really interesting way to look at it because you know not everybody who deals drugs or who gets drugs illegally is getting them for fun or to use to get high they're getting them sometimes because they need them and that's the only option and why do they need that medication? Because they've been injured, usually from a work situation, and then they can't afford the high price of medication in America and even here in Canada. But usually it's mostly there because healthcare you have to pay for, but it's because of the healthcare system. I mean, this wouldn't have been a problem if we, when we found out from a little bit of uh, dialogue that Ollie and Deborah's mother, I think, was had cancer. And they couldn't afford the medication to keep her, not back, give her back to health, but just to keep her alive a little longer and keep her feeling a little comfortable. And Ollie takes it upon herself to go to Manitoba, crossing the border and smuggling in drugs, not for fun, like you said, but just to keep her mom alive a little longer because in North Dakota, they can't afford it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think... None of it is for pleasure. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was really interesting to me because... Um, I guess, like, for full transparency's sake, like, when I said that I'd looked up the reviews uh, on Rotten Tomato, I don't know if you've seen the Rotten Tomato reviews, but the critic score is, like, 96%. Like, it's got a really high score. The audience score is, like, 56%. And... Yes, I noticed that, yeah, too. Yeah, and I thought that, that was really interesting. And I was, like... and I thought that that was interesting before I saw the movie. I especially thought that was interesting after I saw the movie because I was, like, okay... None of you people know what a good movie is. So I went in and, like, read some of the, the reviews and, like, some of the negative audience reviews. And a lot of them said that they didn't like the movie because it felt like it romanticized drug dealing. Like, it made it look, like, fun and cool and, like, something that what? anybody could do. Yeah. And I was, like... And I have so many issues with that because... I thought it did the opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is my thing, is I was, like... I feel like what they were getting at is that if you don't show, you know, like you said, like with Baby Driver, for example, if you don't show the the violence and the danger and the, you know, the sex, drugs and alcohol, for lack of a better term, like if you don't show like all these scary people doing these scary drugs that, you know, then it makes it seem like something that isn't so bad, quote unquote, or like is, you know, it, it makes it seem more appealing in their eyes that you know it was so easy for Ollie in comparison to you know these movies were like Baby Driver it was so easy for her to have like a good relationship with the people she dealt drugs to and she was you know relatively safe when she would go to drop off drugs or when other people would come to pick them up for her but I agree with you I saw it as the total opposite whereas 
you know, in these movies where you have these people dealing, like, meth and cocaine and, like, drugs to, to get people high, like, in those movies, I think that that makes it seem cool. Like, those movies try to depict drug dealing as, like, oh, look at how cool it is to sell mm-hmm. cocaine and then get high with your buddies. Whereas this movie showed the realities of how drug dealing isn't something that people want to do necessarily. It's something that they have to do to get by. And they're selling prescription medication. It's not like a glamorous, fun lifestyle. Like this is literally people with no other option than to illegally sell and obtain medication. And I don't know. I thought that was like a really weird way that apparently a lot of people read the movie. (laughs) I would like to see what age group, I wish you could see with those reviews, but you can't watch this movie. Like the, the biggest age group, like, was it baby boomers? Mm -hmm. Was it millennials? Was it, uh, you know, I'd like to see, because I don't think many people our age watched. And I think that's an important movie for people our age to watch. Because I know so many people, or I, I knew people in high school that, you know, romanticized about drugs and they thought it was such a cool thing to do and I never was one of them. But I think these movies uh, should be not so, like, underrated. I don't understand why they weren't put, like, why this movie wasn't put out in cineplexes and why it wasn't nominated at the Oscars or at the Golden Globes because I think Tessa Thompson and Lily James both deserved nominations. Yeah, 100%. But it's very strange. But then they'd rather nominate, you know, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is, you know, a Tarantino film and it has so much much violence and it's completely whitewashed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not even the correct history. It actually is untrue. Everything that happens is a fantasy about Hollywood and everyone lives even though the people die in real life. And I just, it just makes me sad that they say they've progressed in Hollywood and they've definitely made a lot of changes, especially with you know, a foreign film being a best picture this year, one for best picture, but there's so much more and so much more they could do. And there's so much uh, we as as people should be doing to promote these movies. Because um, again, like you said, everyone says, oh, there's no black filmmakers, but there are, and no one's talking about them. Yeah, yeah. And they finally get a movie made and they finally, you know, gone over those horrible hurdles that they've probably had to go through more than, Uh, Well, definitely more than men, but probably more than female white women directors. But then now they get their movie done and no one talks about it. And I I wonder if the Tessa Thompson and Lily James, I I should have done some research about this and looked up some of their interviews. But I'm curious if they're proud of this movie and if they are disappointed that it didn't get more of a worldwide uh, showing or if they just don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. And... um... Oh, shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, um, with, just because you mentioned, like, Parasite, uh, I was actually thinking about how one of the things that I, I have thought about a lot with that movie is, spoiler for Parasite, there is, it's very much like Little Woods in the beginning, where it's all suspense, and everything suspenseful about it is through dialogue, and it's through little action, and there's nothing really scary until you get to sort of the back like half hour of the movie and then it sort of ramps up and it becomes more your stereotypical thriller which and it culminates in this like 10 minutes gore fest and obviously like I think Parasite is a phenomenal movie I think that Bong Joon-ho is a fantastic director but I can't help but wonder how well the movie would have done if it didn't have that 10 minutes of gore in it would people have been as interested in what if people have found it boring what people mm-hmm. have gone to see it as much like I yeah and and like I think that obviously the scene worked well and I think that you know the the way that Bong Joon-ho built suspense was brilliant and the the culmination of it was it was needed for the story that he was telling but I also can't help but wonder like if it had been if we had seen less of the gore if we had only heard about the gore if you know if it was if what happened at the end of the movie was done in a different way, would it have been as popular in in big theaters? Like, would people have given it as much attention if it didn't have the sort of shock value ending? Mm-hmm. And sadly, violence sells. And the only movie I can say that did really well and, like, basically had no violence but had great suspense and mystery is, like, my favorite film, Knives Out. Yeah. And that somehow 
did it all. And I don't know how that managed. It was obviously directed by man. Most of the cast was white. Um, so there's those two great yeah. things that <laughs> get you in Hollywood. But there wasn't much, uh, there was no violence, basically, except for one little, little scene. But there was, like, none. And it did so well. And it reminds, reminded me when I was watching Little Woods that um, there's this movie that came out, I think, a couple of years ago now, called Beautiful Boy. And it's based off, and I read the book, and it's based off um, this father, David Sheff. It's a biography. And his son, Nick Sheff, and how... You know, his he raised his son really well in San Francisco, or he thought he raised him well, and he was this, you know, captain of the football team, and he was a swimmer, and he had got good grades, and he played all these instruments, and he did so well. And then around the time of, like, just after high school or starting around 16, he became a drug addict, and he just fell to pieces. And the book was really well laid out, and it really changed my perception of people who um, who become drug addicts. Usually, I didn't know this at the time when I read it. I was like, wow, but it's usually because there's some underlying mental health issue. And we found out now that Nick Chef has very high depression and is very bipolar. He really suffers from bipolar disorder, and a lot of people... go do drugs because of that and this movie doesn't talk about mental health because the people getting the medication are usually in pain physically and it's not meth but uh, Nick Chef becomes a meth addict so the movie came out and it starred uh, Timothy Chalamet as Nick Chef and David Chef was Steve Carell and I thought okay this movie is gonna be huge it has that was Timothy Chalamet as prime just after Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird and Steve Carell well he's a pretty big actor and nobody saw the movie and I was like wow this is weird but it didn't dramatize the use of drugs and make it seem like it was super cool and it really showed this guy falling apart the movie wasn't as good as the book I did watch the movie and I was like yeah it was okay but I really thought it would have been seen more by people yeah no for sure you can't see me right now but I've been like nodding along with everything you've been saying um yeah I think it's like sadly movies like that and movies like Little Woods are key examples of where Hollywood has this one particular vision of story they like to tell and who they want to tell the story. And if you don't check all those boxes, it's so easy yeah. for your movie to to slide under the radar. And even like Little Women, I still don't think got the Oscar love it deserved, but it, yes. it did have the benefit of being an, adapt- an adaptation, a story that yeah. people knew well. It had a lot of big names in it. It was all white women. Like <laughs> even that had something working for it. It wasn't original. It was it was remade, and that's what makes Lady Bird so special. But then it didn't get many nominations. I think uh, Saoirse Ronan got nominated, um, but she didn't win. And Greta Gerwig, I don't think she got nominated. And and it just kind of was like, yeah, oh yeah, Lady Bird, that coming of age movie. And but then it's a new idea, and again, that has white women too. So oh, it's it's we gotta change this yeah. somehow. Somehow we have to change this. <laughs> Awful. It's like going around in circles. Yes. I will say I'm really glad that none of the the labels for Little Woods called it a coming of age movie because there's nothing I hate more than any movie starring like young women being called a coming of age star. I know. I know. And that's how they, uh, because it means that you know why you want to watch this movie? Because the girl's going to have sex in it. She's going to come of age. Because that's all it means to come of age as a girl. <laughs> but yeah, and th- there was also no sex in this movie. So that might be why. No sex and violence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even um, like when I remember when Deb goes to talk to Ian. And, and they have that really touching scene where he... He begs her to to believe that he can help her, that he's he's able to do something for her, and she's like, no, like I I I don't have a reason to to believe that you'll be able to come through for me. And I was so scared that whole scene. I was like, oh my god, Deb, like don't go, don't sit next to him, like don't go any closer. I know like, he's gonna do something really bad. He's gonna like hurt you. And then he didn't. And it was just this really beautiful emotional scene where you saw how vulnerable he was and how obviously, you know. I don't think you're necessarily supposed to come out of that movie liking Ian, 
but you understand him and you sort of see where he's coming from and you and you do feel bad for him to a certain extent because mm-hmm. for his faults and for all the things he's done wrong he does wish that there was more he could do yeah and he's he you feel empathy well you feel empathy for him cuz he is in assisted living and it's not like he I mean, it's his, his baby, and he doesn't want to lose something that he created either, but at the same time, he's super unreliable and super unstable, and at the end of the day, it is Deborah's choice, because he's not even there for the son he has right now, so why would he be there for an unborn one? But you do feel a lot of empathy for him, because you know it's just, again, the choices are only as good as your options are, and his options aren't very good. Yeah. Yeah, so the choices you make aren't going to be better, right? And his choices are... But hopefully... Uh, I like that it didn't show in the end, like, oh, father and son reunited, and he's the family man now, and he's come to live. Like, I'm glad they didn't even show yeah. her moving into the house. That was so good. That would have just totally ruined the whole film if they milked it and sugarcoated it in the end, or showing um, Ollie going off to a different city or a different town or a different state. I can't remember exactly where she was uh, heading. And then getting the job and, you know, having her own place. And I'm so glad they did not do that. Yeah, okay. No, the ending... The ending threw me completely off guard. And I loved it. But I I remember, like... um, I think it was right after Deb came out of getting her abortion. And she goes and she gives Ollie a hug. And, you know, everybody's... You know, she made it through the abortion. She's safe. She's okay. And I remember like pausing the movie at that point and I think there was like seven minutes left and I was like how are we going to wrap up this movie in seven yes. minutes like there and and uh, I was I was thinking because I, I just like paused it and sat with it for a minute at, and like where we were at this moment and I was like trying to piece together I was like oh my god either something really bad is going to happen and this movie's going to end with them being like caught on the border or maybe we're going to get like a time jump and everything's going to be okay and what I did not expect was that it literally just left them you didn't even see them really make it back home it just left Mm -hmm. them at that moment crossing the border and that was all you got we didn't yeah we don't even know if they got past the border yeah, we have no idea if they made it home safe. Like, it's nice to imagine that they made it home safe and that Ollie was able to move to Spokane and everything worked out, but we we don't know. We just see that moment of them crossing the border, and then it ends. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful, but it also drove me nuts. Because <laughs> I wanted it to did. know. It bothered me, but I, I... And hopefully they won't make, like, a Little Woods, too. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, but God. I kind of just... like that they didn't show it, because then it's kind of, like, up to the audience to decide what they think. I mean, some people, obviously the ones that wrote those reviews, hope that they do get caught. And you and I obviously hope they don't. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I guess that's yeah, kind of up to the audience. I think any other ending would not have been as good but that doesn't mean that I don't still want to know what happened I can appreciate yeah. how brilliant the ending it was and still be like but are they okay though yeah yeah, yeah just just email me at DaCosta so <laughs> hello <laughs> how was it end <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my gosh so are, are there other um I was trying to think of you know, another female cast-led films that aren't big ensemble cast, like we talked about Little Women and There's League of Their Own and uh, uh, Ghostbusters, but ones that are just like a duo of strong, two strong female leads. And and I was trying to think of some, and I definitely couldn't think of any where it's a uh, a white woman and a black woman or a white woman and an Asian woman or just two, you know, black women. And it was so hard to even think of just a movie with two strong female leads, let alone two with different ethnicities. Yeah, yeah, no, like, this is gonna sound awful, but literally the movie that just popped into my head, like, the only movie I can think of with two female leads, other than Little Woods and Thelma and Louise, is Frozen. <laughs> oh my god, and that's animated! And that's animated, and it's also, like, you still have a lot of men in that movie. yeah. And Thelma and Louise, yes, it is a two-women duo. It's super unrealistic. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's very 90s. But 
it's all about the men still in that. It's all about Brad Pitt, even though he's only in two scenes. When someone mentions Thumb and Louise, they say, didn't you like Brad Pitt with his shirt off? Okay, that's the first thing people say. Or, you know, the ex is chasing them, and then it always ends up with them, oh, that ending, which is super unrealistic. But again, it's not even about the women. Yeah, and also, okay, I just thought of, like, it's weird because this is like sort of a genre of movies that kind of existed for a little bit um and no tino shade to sandra bullock or melissa mccarthy or any women who've been in these types of movies but there have been a few movies where it'll be like two female cops against yeah. the world or like a female <laughs> spy and her bumbling sidekick I don't even like I, I could not tell you what these movies are called I just have like very vague memories yeah. of like the there's one McCarthy yeah one. and there's one with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson and like um yes. and Melissa McCarthy always pops up somewhere <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, nine times out of ten with these movies, you have, like, the skinny, smart woman and her, like... Brunette, yeah. Friend. Yeah, and the short, Even yeah. That, and, yeah, and, and I loved Booksmart. Like, you and I saw Booksmart together. And yeah, so we did. Yeah, but when you could still go to movies. Oh, remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you could still go to movie theaters and it was still safe to go outside. But yeah, but again, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver are both white. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Wilde, who again didn't, sorry, didn't again get the recognition that she deserved for that movie. But Olivia Wilde is white and that movie did get more seen and it didn't get many nominations. I don't think it got any, but uh, again, she was white. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. And even, like, I loved Booksmart. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, and I think that it, you know, it had two, like, very round and complex uh, female leads, but there were definitely, like, at least a couple of scenes where it did play into the, you know, skinny, awkward friend and her plus-size yeah. sidekick. And then the always the end goal of, you know, being in a relationship or having a guy... Uh, not with Caitlin yeah. Deaver's character, but with Beanie Feldstein. Then it was kind of like all about the guy she kissed at graduation. I was like, oh. And that's why I really liked Lady Bird. Yeah. Because in the end, she doesn't end up with any guy. Because realistically, when you go to college, you don't have a boyfriend from high school. Not often. And you just are alone. And the guy you dated in high school is kind of a douche. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't even, the, like, Timothy Chalamet's character. They weren't even... Dating, like he'd never be seen in public with her. They would just do things together uh, indoors, and and it was like very realistic that way as well. And I liked Beanie Feldstein and Saoirse Ronan's uh, chemistry together in Lady Bird, and I thought that was a really good female duo. But then in the movie, they have um, like kind of break up their friendship because there's a conflict, and it's because of a guy, Timothy Chalamet. And and then they kind of get separated, and then, it's, yeah, of course the guy, right? And then it's kind of like, well, now they're not together anymore, and then the movie is more about her and this guy, or her and getting to college, and then you don't really see Beanie Feldstein until the end of the movie. And it's like, oh, well, well that's kind of a half duo. I don't know what you call that movie, but they don't stay friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, like, I've never thought about how, even in comparison, there are so many movies with male duos like so many movies where it's the the two men and the two bros and the two dudes but like it's really hard to to think of movies with with two female leads and especially movies with two female leads where the end goal of one if not both of them isn't to get a man yeah and that they're not going on this journey because of a man or they're not doing this um to get away from a man i know there's some um there's this duo, a movie from the 90s with Sandra Bullock and uh, Nicole Kidman called Practical Magic. And I've only seen a part of it, but it, it, it's very 90s. But Nicole Kidman, they're both witches. And Nicole Kidman dates this really abusive guy. And Sandra Bullock is trying to get her out of the relationship. And spoiler, they kill him. And then the whole movie is about how they have to protect themselves from the police uh, with their this guy being killed and it's like well that was only because the guys killed and now you're teaming up together but it was only because of a man that that ever even happened 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is... It's sad how many movies revolving around women. Thankfully, not Little Woods, but how many movies <laughs> with, like, female stars have the majority of the plot revolve around something to do with a boyfriend, husband, partner, yeah. etc. Ah, uh, hopefully this changes soon. Hopefully. I don't know if you saw the um, show Never Have I Ever web that Mindy Callen created. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, it's really good, and it does start off with... Um, so it, the character Davy is super dimensional. There's only about 10 episodes, so they're, it's very quickly how rounded she is. It's amazing how they can do that in such a short period of time. But, you know, her, her end goal at the beginning is to have a boyfriend in high school, and that's kind of what's driving her, and she's using that to coat her anxiety and her depression of her father dying and her uh, stigma and her culture of being Indian and how she doesn't want to be associated with being Indian and how she doesn't want to be associated with her mother and the problems between her and her mother. And so just when high school starts, she's like, oh, if I have a boyfriend, then I'll be happy and all this will change. And we learn more and more about her and how really having a guy doesn't make you a better person, doesn't make you a happier person, doesn't make you better with yourself, doesn't help you with the grief of your, your father and I just thought that was a really good um, way to express it because, of course, in high school, everyone wants to be in a relationship. And I think that growing up with watching all those Disney Channel shows or, uh, you know, movies that were always around that, I just assumed that when you're 16, you get a boyfriend. <laughs> and that doesn't ha always happen, but that doesn't mean it's bad. That's okay. Yeah, no, definitely. And, like, I never dated in high school I never got asked on dates in high school but and you know I I tried not to really care about it or like think about it too much but sometimes you do feel like you know why aren't I living the the high school movie scenario why don't I have you know a partner on my arm you know for prom or yeah. whatever like why is it so hard for little old real life me to to get someone to date in high school when everybody in every teenage movie ever is able to find a partner yeah. and it's always visually shown in in movies like you know John Hughes's movies and everything that once you have a boyfriend then you're accepted then you're accepted in your high school then Molly Ringwald's popular or whatever and I think that if you don't see it ever not end up that way if you never see the main heroine girl not have a boyfriend and end up alone then you just assume if you're watching this when you're seven eight nine ten however old you are and you keep watching movies like that because those are the only movies available and you keep seeing well she always has a boyfriend then that's then you start thinking well that's the only way you can be happy and that's your end goal yeah but if you're definitely. shown more movies I... like little woods where you don't really need a man because the man doesn't get the shit done <laughs> Um, then yeah. if I had seen more movies like this when even five years ago when I was 15, I think my perception would have changed completely, but that wasn't available even 10 years ago, movies like this. Yeah, no, definitely. And I know sort of loosely related is I know, um, you know, a lot of times they talk about the way that, that women get dressed in movies or like the costumes that women get put in and, I remember even, like, I love the Cinderella movie that Lily James is in, the, the Disney live-action one. Yeah. I, I think she's fantastic in that movie. And we I love saw that, that movie, together, too, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, we did see that one together. And, and, yeah, and, like, I loved that movie. But I remember um, there was a lot of controversy around the fact that they had really, like... Um, they'd put, like, this really, really tight, like, cinched-up corset on Lily James. So she looked, yeah. like really really skinny when she was in the big blue like and the boobs Cinderella and then she gown. had to wear a push-up bra to make her boobs look big and her waist tiny yeah yeah like they really like altered her image for for the big sort of like beautiful cinderella at the ball reveal scene and i really appreciated that in little women like Tessa thompson and lily lily james are both beautiful women they're both like very very attractive yes. women but in Little Woods, I might have said Little Women earlier. I meant Little Woods. <laughs> little Woods. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> you didn't see any skin in Little Women. They all had their petticoats and their... You know, I mean, there was no shown skin in that one. 
That's true. But even like in Little Woods, like it is set in, you know, the relatively present day, but they're, they're never made to look super sexualized and their bodies are never altered and they're, they're dressed like people in their situation would be dressed. Yes. They're like, not to say that they... Yeah, exactly. They're dressed normally. They are dressed like an average everyday working woman and single mother would dress. Like they are just in clothes that humans wear. And that was another thing I really appreciated about the movie is they didn't try to, you know, hypersexualize either of them. And I can guarantee that's because it's a female director. <laughs> can guarantee. And yeah. w- back to the Cinderella, what's even worse about that is she had to wear that awful corset and that pushed up bra and she couldn't breathe during the dance scenes. And then in the end, they ended up photoshopping the cover of the, like, the DVD case and the poster anyway. So I was like, well, she was skinny, and then you photoshopped it even more? <laughs> like, then she didn't have to wear that corset. Then you could have just photoshopped it and made her look like, like a really unrealistic person <laughs> who could not be that skinny. Yeah. And I thought, what? They yeah. photoshopped it? I mean, this photoshopping needs to stop. Yeah. No, it's, it, and, and even, like, and it's also just hard to believe because even just when Lily James is wearing regular people clothing, like, she's already a skinny person. Like, I know. Like, you take someone who's already small in the waist and then s- s- shorten her waist even more. I know. She just looks unhealthy, and, and you can tell that I it's know. fake. There was... There was nobody saw the DVD cover of Cinderella and was like, "That's what Lily James' waist really looks no like." No way, no way. And and I was thinking about um, you've seen Mamma Mia too, right? Uh, here we go again. Oh yes. And I was wondering if if because she was like a good size in that. I think she wore overalls most of the time, but I like that they didn't really show she played Donna, her two, um, I guess that's a good duo too, mother and daughter duo, sorry, getting off track here, that they showed uh, her being too skinny. Like I was trying to think on the, even Amanda Seyfried on the Mamma Mia, the one, the first one from 2008, I wonder if they had photoshopped her there. I feel like they photoshop everybody now, but I liked how in Mamma Mia 2, she was not like overly sexualized. Yeah, and no, hopefully definitely. she picks more um, roles, and Tessa Thompson too, that are are less overly uh, sexualized because she was pretty sexualized in Cinderella, and I think for a long time that movie isn't that old. I, I think it's about four or five years old now. But every time they see her, they always say she's Cinderella, right? And that's pretty. I would get a bit tired. Like I would be grateful that that gave me my big breakout, but also I'd be, get kind of tired of it because then people would always have this accept, uh, expectation of you always being. Cr- courageous and always being kind and you know being the best Mm -hmm. person you could be and then from that she's still not even that famous so this movie got her her breakout role but then it didn't even bring her actual big fame because you still don't really see her name much anywhere and I'm glad that she chose a role like this and I bet she thought and Tessa Thompson both thought that this movie would completely change their career and sadly it hasn't yet and it's two years old yeah, no, definitely. And even, like, you know, no no shade at the Mamma Mia franchise, but, like, God, I hope Lily James isn't remembered for her role in Mamma Mia 2. She deserves so much better I than really that. hope not. But good news, I heard that she might be in the remake of Little Shop of Horrors because she can sing. So okay, maybe that will happen. Her and Taryn Egerton good. and Chris Evans is the dentist. <laughs> I am so ready for I've this if this is a this thing. Yet, but I love that. Oh my god. I love it. Uh, well, do you have anything left to oh, well, we have to do our final judgment first, but do you have anything left to say about the movie? We said a lot. <laughs> we did, yeah. I guess it's I I just I really liked it and I I went into it with very few expectations, but even the few expectations I had, um, were broken and I thought that that was that was really interesting like from beginning to end it did things that I didn't expect and it was so grounded in like 
the emotion and the relationship between these sisters and their their story and their struggles. And I I really, really do like I really liked it and I really highly recommend it. I think it, it does deserve more. It, it deserves more appreciation and love because it's a great movie. I mean, I didn't know exactly what I was going into when watching it, but I definitely didn't have high expectations for it. I think I just, I, like, I didn't have low expectation, but I, I just thought, oh, it's probably going to be one of these, like, indie films and it'll probably be okay. But when I, when I stopped watching it, I was like, wow, the dialogue was great. The performances were great. The chemistry was good. The story was good. The pacing, the layout of the film, each scene was so natural, but also you could tell that it was very coordinated and very on point. And I thought it was really great and that it's definitely going to go in one of my top films now. Yeah, definitely. And so so did did Little Woods move, move you or oh, not? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I like to... Th- I think we've already explained. Yeah, I like to think of myself as a fairly open-minded person, but I think that even more so it, it makes you sympathize with the the situation that that people like Ollie and Deb are in and the the realities of what drug dealing is actually like in the real world because it's not all baby driver music montages yeah. and gunfights. Like, it's... I, yeah. it, it definitely did move me. And also, I forgot to say earlier, it was shot gorgeously. <laughs> it was a beautiful-looking movie. Oh, yeah, the cinematography was gorgeous. The lighting, oh. And I also hope, because it definitely moved me, totally moved me, but I also hope that the stigma around uh, women getting abortions and drug dealing and being not a drug addict but just needing proper medication and needing money because you can't get that medication or get that abortion or you know get the mortgage to pay off your house I hope that it stays that way uh, that you know um the stigma around that is erased and if it can't be in our generation hopefully you know in the next generation they'll somehow see this movie and really really like it and really show uh, like watch it for how it really is yeah and appreciate it yeah definitely (laughs) well that is our review and on little woods and i hope you enjoyed listening yeah thank you so much for having me of course thank you for christina for being on the show